1: All this week we have focused on the judgmental, the religious, and the self-righteous. There are 14 other counts of guilt that the gospel brings out, as we see in Romans, coming up next. And again, welcome. This is Truth For Today. Pastor Phil Howard is working our way through Romans, and today we take a look at the 14 counts of guilty that are established for you and I and the rest of the human race. Care to understand why you need the gospel so desperately? Well, the guilt is overwhelming. For more, here's Pastor Phil Howard and today's broadcast of Truth for Today.
2: He starts this great book that really is about offering you good news. But the gospel tells bad news before it offers good news. And we don't like that. Uh, My doctor said uh, some time ago, uh, and and this is weird. Uh, I saw him for maybe it was a a yearly checkup or something. and, And he's looking at my record. He said, you know what? You're just not redeeming your premiums. And I said, what do you mean? He says, well, you know, as much insurance as paid on you a month, you ought to be seeing me more. I said, no, thanks. No, no, I I don't mind premiums paid. I hope I never have to see you. And he said, well, you know, you've got a wonderful plan. The church provides this plan. You ought to get in. And uh, do you ever hear people that do have health insurance say, I just hope I never need a doctor? And men are notorious. You hear this all the time. Uh, Well, how long has he been this way? Well, for months, but he didn't want to tell anybody. Why not? Uh, None of us hang out at the hospital just to get a break. Uh, And most of us don't like doctors until we're really, really, really sick. Right? And I think it's the way it is with this matter we're going to look at today of God's summary that he finds the human race condemned and 14 counts of guilt he's going to bring against them. In his final concluding statement, he said the Gentile world in chapter 1 are bankrupt about pleasing God. No question. He picks up the moralists in chapter 2. They're bankrupt. The religious Jew is bankrupt in chapter 2 through 3. And now he's going to bring his final concluding arguments in the court of God. And this is what he says, beginning verse 9. What shall we conclude then? Are we Christians any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles are all under sin. He mentioned nothing about margins. You're a Jew or a Gentile. If you don't know what that is, find out where you fit. You're one or the other. Jew or Gentile and what? You're under sin, and that term under sin means to be under the authority, the command. It was used in the Gospels of soldiers under the command of a centurion. You're under the control or the command of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, that's even your grandmother. No one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. Though There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the control, under the uh, command of the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Uh, I don't think there's probably a more controversial subject than the subject of sin. What is sin? The other controversy is, how do you find a cure for it? Uh, It goes this way. If you've been in church at all, you're acclimated to, Of being told you're a sinner we have got used to it it's our guests that said man i i feel i need they talk about being sinners i i think of those real real bad people and and if you're around bible teaching you you just use oh god's not mad at you when he says you're a sinner no more than the doctor's mad at it when he says you've got a disease he's not mad at you he's just telling you the truth is that fair You've got this disease. But he, he doesn't want to say, and I hate you for having it. In the doctor's case, I'm making a living. Because you got it. That's why I went to med school, is to help bring a cure for you. But when you talk about this matter of sin, when you say, let's say if you just had a, a nice banquet. And we were all here, and I said, the first thing I want to say is you're all a bunch of Sinners. Uh, how do you think that'd go over? Say, hey, this is not the local gang meeting. This is not, we're nice, respectable. What are you saying when you say we're sinners? You're saying we robbed somebody, killed somebody? No, no, see, you, can't, you take it for granted. That means I, I just don't measure up. And, and we start kind of feeling a little bit comfortable with it. And uh, it's okay. But it's a very offensive doctrine. Now, let me say this. What you think of sin, no matter where you are on the board, whatever you come up with as an understanding and definition of sin will affect the way you interpret the cross. Because for some liberal theologians say this, we are nice people. And you go to church and you hear nice sermons that say we're nice boys, nice girls, And we don't hardly know what sin is. Because we've been uh, evolving. We've been getting better as people. And all we need is socialization. We just need to do philanthropy. And we just need to keep the golden rule. And then when you come to the cross. Bloody. uh, Sacrificial. No, no. Good people don't need this blood and gore. He's a good example. Jesus shows you how to. Care for people, pour out your life, but it's no payment for sin, because none of us are that really that bad. You you understand, don't you? And so, if you chose the liberal church, you'd come to that. I was shocked to uh, find, as looking up uh, the articles on sin and I was looking for a book, Whatever Happened to Sin? I thought William Glasser wrote it, a clinical psychologist, or I thought H.O. Maurer of Urbana, Illinois, who had the psych department for about 40 years. Uh, I was looking for the book, and I began to find articles on whatever happened to sin. Uh, and I discovered this interview that Larry King had with Joel Olstein, and I thought I would just share just some of the, the points that were... Uh, striking. This interview uh, was June 20th, 2005, and uh, King asked Olstein uh, about people who did not claim to be Christian Jews, Muslims, and other non Christians. Uh, what do you think about it? They're wrong, aren't they? said King. Olstein replied, Well, I don't know if they believe they're wrong. I believe here's what the Bible teaches, and from the Christian faith, This is what I believe. But I just think that only God will judge a person's heart. I spent a lot of time in India with my father. I don't know about all the religion, but I know they love God. And I don't know uh, if they're okay or not. I've seen their sincerity, so I don't know. I know for me and what the Bible teaches, I want to have a relationship with Christ. King went on and says, do you ever use the word sinners? Olsen replied, I don't use it. I never thought about it, but I probably don't. But most people already know what they are doing wrong. And when I get them to church, I want to tell them you can change. So I don't ever want to mention. I want them to live their best life now, which is his moral thing uh, of his ministry. Um, He went on, uh, Osteen does not use the word sin or sinners. Uh, Do not say that to people. People don't need to know they can fall short. They need to know that if they live right, they can live the best life. And we talked about judgment when they interviewed him further. He said judgment was something a former generation talked about. I don't have time to talk about it. Uh, Very interesting. Uh, a book that was sent to me years ago, uh, it's called Self-Esteem, the New Reformation. Has anyone ever read it? It's by Robert Schuler, and he sent every preacher in America this book free, free of charge. And uh, this is what the book teaches, things like this. Salvation means to be rescued from poor self-esteem. Salvation is being rescued from poor self-esteem. Hell is the loss of self-esteem. Uh, you can look this up under uh, Robert Schuller quotes from self-esteem, the New Reformation. I'm quoting, okay? Uh, it's, it's on the web. Uh, Robert Schuller quotes from self-esteem. Uh, Jesus Christ, uh, when he died, he was really self-esteem incarnate, and he goes on. They ask him, "What is sin?" Well, any condition that robs God of glory by stripping one of his children of their right to divine dignity. I can offer still another answer. Sin is any act or thought that robs myself or another human being of his or her self-esteem. Classical theology defines sin as rebellion against God. The answer is not incorrect as much as it is shallow and insulting. Every person deserves to be treated with dignity. And so his whole emphasis, he too will not use the word sin. Salvation is to discover your self-esteem. Christ is the one who is a self-esteem incarnate that showed us. And he says the new reformation will be we will forget about sin. We will forget about judgment. We will forget about the wrath of God. What men need is to think better of themselves. Um, if you study psychology at all, how many of you took psych in college? How many of you studied Freud? Anybody, you had to study Freud. Well, Freud developed a psychology that one of our greatest problems is guilt. And guilt comes from what? an overdeveloped superego. And superego is that thing in you that was conditioned by your parents, by your church, by your culture, that developed this grid of what's approved behavior and what's disapproved. And so when you come in loaded with guilt, you are violating your superego. Freud's answer to that is, we must get rid of those categories Remove parents as an authority. Church religion in the authority as an authority. We must remove, remove cultural mores. And basically, if you feel like doing it, do it. If it feels good, do it. There is no outside, because guilt is a bad term for sinners. We must get rid of guilt so we will destroy in the superego a set of standards and boundaries that, like morality, you must discover new sexual mores, and Freud was big in revolutionizing our whole concept of sexuality Is an open game, an open market, it does not demand marriage, does not demand uh, Who you sleep with, it's an open thing. Get rid of the grid that makes it an expectation. Get rid of the expectation, you get rid of the guilt. Um, You take, uh, I'm just trying to give you a feel. Today, common things about sin. Uh, What's the big thing in our culture? Uh, I'm this way because my mom and dad were. And so William Glasser developed what was known as reality therapy as he worked with juveniles. Reality therapy says, you are responsible for what you do and we can't blame where you came from. Well, the issue comes up, are they, is the boy or girl that way because of their nature or because of their nurture? Well, probably both. But the idea that built in To you, is any propensity to sin is a loaded question. Let me give you some church history. In the 4th century, two Catholic uh, bishops got into a fight. And uh, they were both in North Africa. One was Augustine, who had been a profligate, immoral fornicator uh, before he got saved. Went to Rome just to sleep with girls. And his mother was weeping over him all the time. God saved Augustine. And uh, he became a, a celibate the rest of his life. And he got into a fight with a man named Pelagius, another very prominent teacher. And this was the battle. Pelagius taught this. Augustine said, and he's the Roman Catholic bishop, notorious for what all Roman Catholics learn in catechism, original sin. And a new movie's out to... Debunk that. That is, you have sin in you from the point of your origin. That from the point of origin, there is a propensity to sin. Here's the issue. Do I sin because I'm a sinner, or do, beco- or do I become a sinner the first time I sin? Do I sin because I am? And give me enough time, and I will sin Or do I come innocent, no predisposition to evil or sin, and I become a sinner only when I commit that first act? This is what Pelagius said. Three things. One, the sin of Adam affected no one. So we're all born with a clean slate. Every one of you, when you were born, according to Pelagius, started in paradise, having no bent towards right or wrong. You just were born neutral. Innocent. Augustine said, no, no, no. You were born with a twist in your nature, in your makeup, from the time you were conceived. The sin principle was passed on from the source of your origins on down. Big debate. Pelagius says, those born after Adam have been born in a condition of innocence as Adam was before the fall. Three, every human being has the potential of living a life in which they will never sin. It is possible to live because you're not born a sinner. And if you will just see to it that you never make a sinful choice, you could die and go to heaven because you would innately be righteous before God. Augustine says, no, I'm with David. In sin did my mother conceive me. Now watch this. It was not the sex act that was sin. It was not the act of conception that was sin. He's saying, I began as a sinner the moment spermatosa and ovum came to be. And after that gestation and God could say there's life. At that point, my problem began. I had a propensity from that conception on to sin. That's Augustine and that's Paul and that's David in Psalms 51. So, this battle went on, and they disciplined Pelagius by the Catholic Church, uh, judged him a heretic, but they never got rid of his theology, and the majority of Protestants today are Pelagian. They think man is innately good, man innately can find God on himself, man innately has a lot of innocence in him. They will not accept the condition that he's really fallen before God, and incapable of helping himself ultimately. Well, this battle went on in church history in the 1500s. Another two theologians got in a fight, Erasmus of Rotterdam and Martin Luther. And uh, Erasmus wrote a Greek Testament, put it together, put a textual apparatus. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. He was the humanistic scholar of the day. And they wanted him to take on Luther because Luther was considered the wild boar that's loose in the vineyard of the Lord. That's what the Pope called him, the wild boar. And so they got into an argument, and the argument was this, is the will of man free or is it bound? Is man bound inside or is his will free? And... Luther wrote his greatest defense. They say the greatest thing he ever wrote was the bondage of the well where he debates Erasmus. Well, that debate went on. And then we come along to a guy by the name of Jacob Arminius. And Jacob Arminius went to the council of Dort to de- uh, debate five things that a group known as the Remonstrants... Uh, and John Calvin was a part of them. Five things. Jacob Arminius says, man is not born totally depraved. His will remains untouched by the fall. He is free in the realm of his will. The remonstrance, the reformed church says, no, everything about man's been touched by sin. Two, uh, the, uh, Arminius said, God only chooses people that he sees meeting all of his terms. Reformation said, God chooses sinners who haven't met his terms to show off how gracious he is, not how good they are. They said, uh, he died for the world, inclusive of everybody. The Reformation group said, he died for a definite people, his own sheep. Uh, They said, well, everybody can resist Nobody has to come to God. The Reformation said, When God lays hold of a man to save him, he will exercise such strength over the heart, it will be impossible to resist it. Arminius said, Salvation can be lost at any moment. There's no guarantee that once you begin, you will end a Christian. The Reformation men said, all whom God elects will persevere though they fall, though they make mistakes, though they backslide, though they get cold. There is no one whom he chooses that he will ultimately lose. So they fought out this matter of the will. Are men saved because they choose God? Are they saved because God chose them? Well, it came down... In the battle, that when we came to the uh, Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards took up the subject of free agency. This is how Jonathan, three things. Number one, he defined the will. That the will is not some abstract, neutral thing in you. You don't just will things, will things, will things, will things. Because the common uh, definition is that part of me that makes choices. Jonathan says, what is there in you that makes choices? He said, your mind. That your mind considers the options. You're given five options. Now you're free to choose any one of the five. What is it going on in your mind that made you make this choice? So he took it back. The will responds to what the mind perceives as the right choice. The mind is not neutral. This is Edwards. We choose things that we consider are the best choice. Is the will bound? Absolutely not. You are free to choose. But here's the issue. What is it in your mind... And in your moral choices, that makes you choose what God hates. And it's your choice. No man goes to hell against his choice. God will give you what you want. Why did you choose, though, when it's all said and done? Third thing he said is, why the will never chooses God. Natural inability, moral inability.
1: Working our way through Romans, this is Truth for Today with Pastor Phil Howard. We trust today's broadcast has been enlightening, and especially as we see our desperate need for the gospel. As we close out our program today, we would invite you to contact us. Let us know how the broadcast has encouraged you, has ministered to your walk and relationship with Christ. Now, there are a couple of ways that you can contact us. By phone, obviously the easiest, 855 833 9864. Again, simply call 855-833-9864. You can also write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. 94547 is the zip code. what we believe, worship times, directions, and the like. Again, truthfortodayradio.org, or again, simply call 855-833-9864. Would you also bear in mind this radio broadcast is available through listener support.